the National Archives podcast series, Preparing the 1911 Census for Digitization, presented by Anna Bulow. This event was recorded on the 1st of October 2011 as part of the Celebrating the Census Conference at the National Archives, Kew. My name is Anna Bulow and I'm the Head of Preservation here. And that means that I'm responsible basically for what we call um, preventive conservation and preventive conservation um, the, or the remit of preventive conservation is to prevent damage from happening. And so it is in this function that I am involved with most of the digitization projects here at the National Archives because on one hand we want to facilitate the digitization and on the other hand we want to obviously make sure that while we do that we don't cause any damage to the document so that the originals still um, remain readable and usable. Now, I just wanted to give you some background information. Maybe most of you know these, but I just to kind of make a picture here, draw a picture. The Census of England and Wales was taken um, on the 2nd of April, 1911. And it contains, or it is held within a total of 34,989 volumes. That basically takes up one entire repository here at Q. And they were arranged according to geographical district. Now, we've just heard about all of this, and I'm not sure how quite to relate this, but what I, from the little I understood at the time, Basically, the uh, census, the volume one, so to speak, starts in London, and it seems to kind of go out, the counties seem to go out in a kind of circle around London, drawing larger and larger circles, so the higher number volumes tend to be further away from London than the lower numbers. Um, In total, they contain about 8 million schedules, so these are the single sheets, and they are just a little bit bigger than A3, and this is actually significant when you start trying to find a scanner because um, you can't use a regular A3 scanner, or if you do, you have to make sure that that scanner allows for just a little bit more, and I'll go into that later, and that would obviously make it cheaper and easier rather than buying a or using an A2 scanner, which would be then double the size to take that. Um, The schedules, again, as you probably know, they are written on both sides, and they have the official address on one side and the details of the people at that address on the other side. And the subject of my talk, really, is how we prepared the census for digitization. Part of that project was also the enumerator summary books, RG78, and of those, there are only about 2,000 pieces. This, as you may imagine, is a huge project. It's taken us years, and it was a huge challenge, and there was a point in my life where I couldn't even imagine life without 1911 census anymore. I have gone beyond this now, I have to say. It was also one of our first large digitization projects or large in that and of that scale and it posed a lot of questions that we had to answer and again I will 
hopefully guide you through these things. I, my aim is really for you to see how much thought has to go into this. Often we, when we discuss things or the work of the archive, people say, oh, why don't you just digitize? Well, we're trying, but um, it is very complicated. A lot of thought has to go in, and um, because of that, it's also quite expensive. Yeah, so it was the biggest of that scale at the time. With hindsight, now maybe six, seven years on, I can say actually it was a rather easy project compared to what we're trying to do now. Um, this is basically because we are an archive, not a library, which means every time you open a box, something unexpected appears. Whereas the 1911, as we know now, is a very, very uniform series. So it's very predictable how it's going to look like. So when we first started talking about this, which I believe, or the, to, the, to the best of my knowledge, was to, in 2004. Certainly this is when I got roped into it. Uh, this actually shows a picture of how this looks like, how it arrived with us. Maybe a little story about the arrival. They were rather grubby, and I show you pictures of them. Um, they were unboxed, and the, the company that moved them in here um, which I think also happened in 2003-04, they, their um, people complained that they were bitten by fleas and that they would not want to touch these any longer. Now, it turns out we did very detailed pest monitoring on these. We couldn't find anything. We ourselves, none of our staff had any problems of them. We decided to change the contractor, and lo and behold, nobody else had any further problems with them, and we have not found any bugs in them ever since. So I don't know what that was about, but probably someone felt uncomfortable because they were so grubby. Anyway, so this is how they looked like, shelves and shelves and shelves and shelves of this. We had to decide how do we go about it. And there were several options that we thought about. We could either try and get what we would call a single supplier contract, where somebody takes the lead, is the lead supplier, and would do the digitization for us, and they may subcontract other bits of the operation, for example, um, the transcription um, or the digitization itself or the web hosting. Or we could break it up. We could try and have two contracts where one supplier is just doing the scanning and one supplier puts it online. That would have still meant that somehow probably we ourselves would have to do all the developmental work. As I said earlier, we didn't have experience of projects of that scale, so we would have had to do all of that ourselves, and we would have also had to do um, the whole maintenance of the project on the contracts. Then third option, we could um, do a total in-house development, just take it upon ourselves and do it all ourselves, figure it out, um, resource it all, and um, try and find people who do it for us. And fourth option was a service management contract um, that would help us to, to um, develop and with the development and the management of this. So after some discussion, it was decided that the single supplier contract is the best for us. There have been some cost, in, cost estimates involved in this, and I haven't 
put any of these figures in here, and for, frankly, I forgot them. But basically, we felt it was the easiest and the cheapest option for everyone round to have a single supplier contract. Um, and whether that single supplier then does everything themselves or subcontracts parts of it, we left that open at the beginning. But that's what we decided we would go for. And in order to do such large projects, you obviously have to do... Um, you can't just pick your preferred person to do this. This has to be a European-wide tender nowadays. So there was an, an official notice in the official journal of the European community asking for um, interested parties to do this work for us. don't know whether any of you has been unfortunate enough to be involved in any tender work. It's, it's a huge amount of work, huge documents, piles of binders to just um, go through the uh, capabilities or offering of one contractor. Um, what I wanted to point out here in terms of the digitization itself, um, one of the key aspects for me that that supplier would have to comply with is that the scanning must cause the absolute minimum of damage and that the records must be kept safe and secure at all times. Remember, the census is still not fully open to the public. Um, there are still some redacted bits. Um, so we were very keen to, to, um, well, to keep it all secure. And because um, this was such a huge project, and because there was no single supplier who had enough experience to say, yes, we do this for you and this is how we do it, we actually entered what was called a competitive dialogue where we basically started um, discussing with some dis uh, with the preferred um, suppliers how they could exactly do this work for us. So there was a bit of give and take on both sides. And after quite some period, I forgot how long it took, but quite long, <laughs> The contract was awarded to Scotland Online, which later renamed itself into Bright Solid. So this was our single supplier, and they subcontracted both the scanning and the transcription of the, scan of the census. So I'm not sure how many, probably nobody has been privileged to actually see the originals yet because they are um, not fully open yet, but I just wanted to um, give you a flavor. In fact, I'm going to show you lots and lots of pictures, and that in itself is actually quite an achievement because this whole project was so to top secret for commercial reasons and for the fact that it's still closed that um, nobody was keen on having any pictures taken of it. Um, and in the end, most of these pictures that I'm showing you today were actually the pictures that we took in collection care to instruct the scanning operators on how to deal with these items. So this is how it looked like. Um, as you can see, um, all um, volumes have four holes along the spine. And then there was like a green string, two green strings that tied it all together. They were extremely consistent. There's basically no exception. Every single of these 34,989 volumes looked like this. They all had this um, orange belt to it, which was riveted on the back. So you couldn't just take it off. It was, it was attached to the cover. It had a soft linen spine. And the significance of that, as you can also see in this picture, is that whatever paper was st stuck 
on the outside wasn't was falling off just because it hadn't got a secure um, spine to stick to because it was soft. So things were falling off it. But at least the cover was hard and the cover ha had, um, well, the main information on it on the outside. And then the other thing that you can see is, well, maybe you don't see it so well on this picture, but you may have seen it on any other pictures that you have looked at or images that you have looked at. It also had two folds. Each schedule has two folds along here, roughly, and here. This is showing the folds of how these single schedules were delivered by the enumerators um, to the households, and they formed what we call a concertina fold. And I'll talk to about, about the effects of this concertina fold later. So this is how it looked like. Obviously, they were now flat in the books, but you could still see that they had these folds. And now I want to um, talk a little bit about the damage that they had. The 1911 census was formally accessioned um, by the National Archives in 1966. Um, but because they were closed volumes, they were stored off-site until the early, the early years of 2000. They were not boxed, and as you can see, what may happen if they're poorly stored and they don't have any boxes, you get pigeon poo on it. Um, you, somewhere during its lifetime, they also must have sustained some water damage, quite severe water damage and subsequent mold growth. It didn't affect all of them, but quite a few. We're not sure when this damage occurred. Certainly didn't occur while it was here at Kew. Um, sometime before, well, basically sometime between 1911 and 2003, whenever it came to us. The reason why we why this damage is important to us because um, whatever we do, we want to make sure that we ensure optimal image quality and we want to minimize the risk during handling. And because, as I said earlier, some of them were very moldy and some people react really badly to mold, there is a health and safety issue concern. So we have to make sure that we, um, that we clean the mold off and protect also the staff that actually have to deal with these and eventually make it safe to produce to readers if we ever have to. We started off doing a survey. Because the census was so extremely consistent, we um, decided to do a statistical sample with a confidence level of 95%. Um, we did this in July 2004. Four staff did this. Um, and the statistical sample in this case meant that out of the entire 34,000 or 35,000 volumes, we looked at 403, and that meant we looked at every 87th volume. And again, um, when we looked at them, we looked at um, the damage. We wanted to focus on how easy would it be to scan, what do we have to think about when we scan it, and again, we wanted to see how moldy are they. Um, so statistical samples are great. They tell us, they tell us quite accurately um, how much damage we have and how long it would take us to fix that, but what it doesn't tell us is where exactly is that damage. After that survey, we had an inkling that there might be areas of the census 
that that are worse affected than others. Maybe there was a worse pipe above one shelf and not about above the other, and that's why a particular area was um, more moldy than others. But at least to start with, this is kind of how it looked like. So we found, actually nowadays our surveys do not, like, not look like this anymore. We, we have kind of evolved and make it simpler for ourselves as well. But this is exactly how it looked like at the time. This is the original table. Um, and we found that the damage is basically um, distributed throughout the entire series. And the typical damage was tears, folds, and curled edges. We found that there's about 7% moldy documents and 2 or just under 2% um, percent of, of the entire volumes were severely damaged. Um, so that was, according to our estimates, 521 volumes. And um, two volumes were missing. Now, I believe we have found them. They were basically misplaced. Mm -hmm. But at the time when we did it, this was our result. There were some missing. So, yeah, so this was, I remember when we first came up with these results, that was actually quite shocking because we knew we had 35,000 volumes. And we, we felt, as you can see there in the corner, maybe, I, actually, you can't, maybe. But so I'm telling you, half of them at least had something that we need to do, needed to do something about. And, and that's quite a daunting thought at the time. And as I said, our other problem was that we didn't exactly know where this damage was. We just knew how much there was. Then, I suppose, a blessing in disguise. As I mentioned earlier, these spines here are soft. This is just linen. And, and paper. the paper that was stuck on it fell off, um, which also meant that we noticed that these original... Um, labels were falling off and because we were worried that we would lose anything or misplace things we after some discussion decided we relabel the entire the entire census so we duly printed off 35,000 stickers and some two poor guys had to go through the entire series pull every volume off and put a new sticker on but because we knew that, we thought, actually, we need to take advantage of this because somebody, if somebody's looking at every single one, then they should take a note of which ones are the ones that are so badly damaged so that we could have these give or help, have these guys help us find these badly damaged volumes. So that's what we did. As I said, it was a blessing in disguise. Basically, we did one survey, one statistical survey, and then we looked at the entire series again just because we needed to put new stickers on it. Okay, so now I'm going through quite some images about um, the damage that we found. So um, lots of them had just folded over corners. Um, and that obviously is not particularly severe. But we also had folds that went across the entire schedule. And the reason why this is relevant is, as I said earlier, this impairs on image quality because if you took that image just like that and put it online, you can be certain somebody will find his ancestor there, see the name, and doesn't know who else is there because it's been concealed. So that was one of our main reasons why we went through every single sheet because we wanted to make sure if there was information, we wanted to make sure it can be seen. And we decided because this is kind of simple and 
the volumes as such were actually in fairly, or the paper as such was in fairly good condition. We thought this could be done eventually by a scanning team. It doesn't have to be done by a trained conservator, which would make it more expensive. Then we had minor tears. To us, this is what we've learned. Anything shorter than five centimeters as a tear is to us a small tear. Um, and they're usually, as you would expect, they're along the edges. And again, in cases like this, we decided with a bit of training, we can ask our scanning operators to gently fold them back. Um, we did not allow any of our scanning operators to use any tools like the conservator would. So whatever damage we found that would require a tool, we decided we do ourselves. But whatever you could do gently with your own hands, we would train the scanning operators to do it. So these were examples of where we felt this, is, this can be dealt with by a scanning operator. But then we had major tears. Sometimes they went across an entire sheet, sometimes only from the bottom. And obviously our worry here would be that this could rip apart while you scan this. So we wanted to avoid this. And again, we have been thinking very carefully as how can we do this with the least effort, the most cost-effective way of doing this. And so um, we decided that um, if the sheet was ripped apart in two pieces, it would be a conservator who puts it back together. If it's still somewhere together, we decided cleverly, and this is also one thing that we did for the first time then, piloted it, went fantastically well, so we always do this now, um, we would put these things in polyester envelopes, and I've brought one here along. This is an, an original 1911 census envelope, <laughs> polyester. Again, a lot of thought has gone into this. We wanted to, to be sealed on two edges and open so that we could quite easily slide it in and take it out again. And that obviously would also give us a secure uh, lead-in into the scanner. And again, as I said, a lot of thought has gone into that as to how many, how many corners or which, which edges do you actually seal. Also, we tried different materials because some give more glare than others if you actually take an image. So um, anyway, this was the solution, and you can, you can see that sometimes. Then we had quite a few crumpled edges, and um, these were also basically sleeved. As you see, when there's something like this and the information is simply missing, then there's nothing we can do. If it's missing, it's missing. Um, so um, in that case, again, we decided, unless it's something that looks really, really severe, um, and a conservator could do something about it, then again, we would instruct our scanning team to do this. Now, these are the more nasty ones. Everybody went, ooh, don't want to touch this. But we obviously had to. Um, and they basically present a health risk. They present a health risk to us, um, to our staff in the repositories, and to our readers if they ever have to be produced. And so what we did here is basically just train the scanning team to spot them so that they single them out and give them to us and we deal with them. Now, as you see from here, it's, it's actually kind of easy because they're so nasty. You can spot the nasties fairly easily. Um, and they were always done by us and they were always done within a fume cabinet so that you don't get the spores everywhere. Um, the other thing that this kind of combined mold and water damage did is that they stuck entire volumes together, so the, the sheets were not single sheets anymore. It was basically one big block. 
Um, and sometimes there was only water damage, but no mold damage, um, in which case they just stuck together. Again, painstaking work to actually try to take it apart so that every information there possibly is to be retrieved, we can retrieve. And these stuck volumes of which we knew there were about 500, these were the ones that took us the longest. And then there was also this interesting volume. I think actually there were two. And we called it the volume with castor oil goo. We didn't quite know what it was, but we eventually figured out it seemed to have been castor oil. Now how it got there, I'm not sure. But um, and actually, in no I found no picture where you can actually see how nasty it was. It was basically it was it was a bit like rubber. It was still sticky, and it was quite thick, like this. And it must have penetrated from the head of the book down. You can see it's kind of zipped into the pages, and it stuck all this. It stuck everything together. Here you can see um, a conservator trying to get with a scalpel in it. Um, and you could see that there were, at least along the edges, there were some minor losses as we tried to take it apart. And I've even got a picture of one of the conservators on the brink of a nervous breakdown. <laughs> uh, no, that's not me, actually. But she is still here, so she continued the work despite this experience. And because they were so sticky and we couldn't do anything against the stickiness, this was an example where we basically ended up with the entire volume in sleeves afterwards, in these kind of sleeves, so that they don't stick together anymore. And we would have probably left these sleeves um, also after the scanning operation, just to prevent them to stick together again. This was really nasty. Only, luckily, we only had two of them. Okay, so that was the damage. Then there were other issues we had to deal with. One is metal fastenings, as you can see here. Some of them were stapled, quite why they were stapled together on top of the strings, I'm not quite sure. Somebody must have felt it was a good idea. They have obviously gone rusty over the years. You can see actually quite nicely what that does. It, the rust corrodes and it corrodes the whole paper around it. Everything here gets brittle. And apart from that, the corroded fastening or the corroded staple itself is actually also very brittle, so it was very hard to actually get it off. But again, we had to get it off in order to make these sheets single sheets. Then, a recurring problem in archives. There have been inserts. Some were loose, some were fastened, some were stuck to it, some were pinned, some were tagged. And um, in an archival sense, it's really important that you make sure that you, that you don't change the order, that wherever you find something that's inserted, it actually stays where it is. And... The challenge there is also that you make sure this is still the case when it's digitized. So when a user um, gets his own schedule or what, he, what they want to see, that they get this other image or alerted to the fact that there is something that was originally stuck on top of it. And these are quite tricky questions because once you take it apart, then the archival association is lost. And then the question becomes, should we re-adhere it afterwards or what should we do? And so a lot of discussion going these kind of simple issues that you probably wouldn't think about when you first come across. Yeah, but anyway, again, we, we usually took them off or took them apart and then made sure that they were together with, with the rest after or with where they came from after the scanning operation. Then we had some schedules that looked not like the other schedules. 
they were institutional booklets. So in other words, they were little booklets from maybe prisons or ships or workhouses. And there were booklets. What happens with booklets is if you open them, they're basically double in size. And so therefore, they wouldn't fit into the A3 scanner. So again, you have to think about what you do here. Do you take it apart? Conservators at all costs will avoid to damage. And yet, in this case, we have actually decided, begrudgingly, but we did decide to um, just cut that spine off just here so that they become single sheets. This is debatable, but we did it for ease of digitization, and we felt that this type of binding is not historically significant as such. So those were those. Um, again, this was done in our studio. It wasn't done by any contractor. So whenever they came across these booklets, then we took care of them. Then the belts. The belts, these, or these orange belts, they had, I don't know whether any of you have ever, because they're quite often, you see them in the archive, um, come across them. They were also a bit rusty, and they're extremely sharp, actually. And, and our own staff hurt themselves on them. Sometimes you get blood somewhere because people poke themselves with it. And because of that, there was a whole discussion around um, tetanus vaccine. And in the end, that was, was actually what was decided. So all scanning operators made sure they had a fresh tetanus jab, just in case they hurt themselves on these things. I'm just saying these things so you understand what the complexity of these things, things that you never thought about. And here we um, thought about completely removing them because they hurt, because they, because they um, cause damage to both us and the books. Um, on the other hand, they were, they were connected to the books and we would have had to cut them off. In the end, in most cases, I believe we left them on, but where we didn't leave them on, we actually tied them together like this with cotton tape, just so that they stay together. Okay, so you have seen that they were all tied together with these little green um, strings and we decided that um, we should take these strings out so that we have single sheets again. If we take them out, obviously it means it's not, it's not a book anymore. It becomes single sheets and the problem with single sheets is always if ever these go into a reading room, then there's a high likelihood that they come back in a different order than the order in which you have delivered it. So it's not particularly desirable to remove the binding. And I actually, I, f I still feel quite smug about this because I, um, I talked to the suppliers and I said to them, you have two options. I allow you to take the binding out, the two green strings, fine, take them out. After scanning, you either have to put them back in because we know they all had these still these four holes, it would be easy, or you buy us boxes for it. And lo and behold, they calculated it and they felt actually buying boxes is cheaper. So we got the supplier to actually buy these boxes for us that allowed them to leave the volumes unbound afterwards. So we made sure that they're all, each one of them is bound with cotton tapes as I've shown, but on the whole they were not bound together anymore. And the other thing that I insisted on is that um, once we have digitized them and once they're loose, they're more vulnerable and therefore I wanted them to be stored horizontally and not upright on the shelves anymore. So these are what you see here on these pictures. Don't they look nice now? <laughs> okay, so now we had an overview of how this all looked like, what, is, what was the damage, 
And then we still didn't quite have so much experience on how long would this take us to do this. So we had two pilot studies. That's basically because the first pilot study wasn't good enough. Um, for the first study, we only took seven volumes and we had, I believe, two conservators on it and we couldn't really get any conclusive figures out of these seven volumes. So we decided we have to do this more properly and um, we did a second pilot study and that involved three conservators and they spent 20 weeks on it and that started in November 2005. And during that time, this little team um, prepared just over 200 volumes um, and that, we felt, gave us um, a much better cross-section on what we might come across and how long would this take and are there any special issues that, that, that might come up, like the castor oil goo came up in that. Um, so we were warned that something like this could happen. But in the end, these 200 volumes gave us um, a satisfactory figure on the total time estimates. How long will it take us to prepare the entire census for scanning? How much would that cost? And also, how much space would we need to do this? Okay, and then we started to try and um, think a bit more closely as to who is doing what and when and how and where. So we came up with a little table for our suppliers and basically set out the rules as to what it is that the supplier can do. Obviously, anything that the supplier can do, because they tended to use agency staff, would be more cost-effective than what we would do. So we wanted to make sure that whatever the conservators had to do was what is absolutely what a conservator has to do and nobody else or can do and nobody else. So we made a set of rules and some things we kind of left open and said, well, please ask us when you come across it. Um, we made a whole handbook for our um, scanners to, to t go, through, go through these different damage types, which is actually where all these pictures come from because we weren't allowed to take any other pictures. And then we discussed image quality. Now, image quality is, is not really um, my area of interest, and I haven't really had great involvement, but I think it belongs here because we discussed it during that time, and it has an effect on both the scanning operation as well as you as the user. Because what you have to do when you determine the image quality is that you have to find the right balance between the image quality... Obviously, you want to make sure that you can see as best as you can see. But at the same time, if you do super-duper high-quality images, then that means it takes longer for the cameras to take that shot because it captures more data. And not only that, so it would slow down the scanning operation itself, but also at the same time, when you as a user would download something with such high quality, it would take you quite a long time to actually download it. We have just seen that earlier. There is a balance to be found between having a satisfactory image quality and still making it user-friendly so that people actually, when they click on it, actually get that image quite quickly. And in the end, the solution of the, what we have decided to do is to capture images at 24-bit color, uncompressed TIFFs, and 300 DPI. This is technicalities. You're not allowed to ask me any questions about this. <laughs> okay, then we had to find the scanner that would work for this. And because the census is so unusually uniform, it's the first and so far also the only project where I considered some sort of automated or semi-automated scanning operation. I remember still traveling, traveling the country, looking at different models. As I said, the size was a problem because 
the documents were just over A3. It would have been much easier if there had been A3 exactly because then more scanners would have been on the market for it. And in the end, we decided for this ACFA model. And this is actually a picture from the pilot study. And what I didn't like about this ACFA model is that it actually had a drum here. So basically, this is where you feed in and this is where your sheet comes out. So you bend the sheet. And we felt that the, the documents were too, well, too fragile. I didn't want to have anything going around a drum. The other thing that was really important for me is, I don't know, has any one of you ever taken, tried to take a piece of paper that was jammed out of a photocopier? <laughs> well, so we wanted to make sure that the scanner actually allows us to have complete access to the paper in case something happens. And so this is why you see... The second picture, actually, it just opened up and the whole area was free. Um, and we also made sure that the scanner would still complete the scan even if there was a power cut, so it doesn't get stuck in the middle, even though we made sure we would have access to it, but it was just not desirable. So the good thing about this scanner was that it would scan both sides at the same time. And although it had this automated feed option, we soon realized it doesn't do it quite automatically because um, the scanners on the market really they are they are made for this kind of stuff this this is much more stable still much more uniform and um, usually doesn't have folds or any other form of damage and so um, what we ended up doing here is that basically there was an opera sta operator standing here in front and they would always have small small stacks and they would kind of try and just observe and make sure that they go in properly, the sheets go in properly. Now, I just said I didn't want them to come round the drum and out again in the front, which meant it would have to have a straight path. That means the scanning operator doesn't see the back. And this is where the concertina folds come in. So we had basically these scanners, we modified them, and we in the beginning we thought, oh, we just put a tray at the back, and that would be fine. And it kind of was, but every time this sheet that went through, it kind of hit the tray and it folded up again. Because it's still from 100 years ago had these folds and even though they were kind of weak, they were strong enough to make all of them jam, basically. So there was quite a lot of um, technicalities to try and make this as smooth as possible. And we did, we did succeed. So it was a semi-automated um, feed. Space requirement, actually, I don't want to talk too much about this. Um, only that we find in our scanning operations you need about six times as much space as your document is big because you always have unscanned material and scanned material and stack of stuff that is here and then you've got the box and you've got the box lid and then you've got the computer and the scanner. So you need quite a lot of time um, and space and that has implications on where are we actually going to do this. We wanted it to be secure and we needed it to be fast in terms of production so that we don't have to run and bring these documents from one end of the building to the other. And we wanted it to be easy to monitor. So here Collection Care was really keen that it was kind of close to us. And we decided that it would happen in one of our repositories. This is the first plan of how we envisioned this. Actually, it happened pretty much like this. So this is one of the inside of one of our repositories. You can see all the shelving. And we basically took shelving out in the middle. And this is the repository also where the census was housed. So it basically was all in one room. This is a bit of a close-up of what we did. We had long discussions about 
the, the workflow for this. Um, there was obviously um, an issue about speed. How fast do we have to do this? How many years do we have time to complete this? And in the end, the balance was to have five scanning stations for the schedules and one for the book covers. And then we had at the bottom in this place, not all can see that, but it's not that important. At the bottom, there was um, space for the pre-preparation. And then at the top, basically, the documents came in, were prepared by people. This is shelving. This is prep station. These are the scanners. And then there was um, um, a post-preparation where they were taped together with the tape, as I've shown you, and put in boxes. And um, this was done by a subcontractor, and the scanning took place 12 hours a day within two shifts, Monday to Friday. So I talked briefly about how long would it take to prepare this and how, how is this damage distributed, and we found that most damage is likely or most damage volumes are likely to take us about two hours. That was our average. Um, and in fact, this is how it turned out in the end. So our first guess was pretty good from our pilot study. But not only that, because we knew that there were some volumes that would take um, a lot of time for us to do. Some took a week and not just two hours. And because we knew we had these, we, had, we, we have had great discussions about which order do we actually scan these in? What would make most sense? And we basically looked at three options. We thought we can either scan them all as they are stored, in which case they would go in number consecutive order. So we would start with volume one. That would have started with London, Surrey, Kent. At the same time, from the relabeling exercise, we knew that London was about the worst affected in terms of damage. So it would give us quite a headache to start like this because the worst volumes come first. Then we thought, well, wouldn't it be smart to start in order of population size so that when we think about a phased release of this census, we could at least serve those people or serve, serve the people serve the counties with the largest population at the time first, hoping that that would serve our users best. And that would have started with Lancashire, London, and then Yorkshire. And our third option was to kind of bail out of the difficult ones and just try and do everything that's easy first, gain some experience, and then do the rest later. And that would have started with Nottinghamshire, Gloucestershire, Worcestershire and it would have helped us to maximize the time. Um, in the end, for various reasons, we thought, no, we're just going to bite the bullet. We do it in order. That was the easiest all round. So we started at volume one, and we finished at 34,989. Quickly about scanning speed. So our target rate was 40,000 images per day, which meant about 1,000 images an hour per scanner. And as I said earlier, the scanners luckily allowed for um, scanning both the front and the back at the same time. And this is actually, it could easily be the only, the only um, official picture that we have of the scanning area. This is how it looked like. Oh, every other image was banned. We weren't allowed to show any of this because it was also top secret. But anyway, you have a privilege to see this. This is how it looked like. Um, and there was one book scanner somewhere in the corner for the book covers. As I said, that's this, the, um, our lead supplier was Bright Solid, but they actually 
um, subcontracted the actual digitization work, and they were um, um, subcontracted to Advanced Data Services, ADS, and we worked really, really well together. But a lot of thought, again, went into that, working with working with these commercial um, suppliers. They obviously have quite a different agenda from us. We want to be really careful. They want to be um, fast. Um, so we discussed with them security requirements. We had to make sure that they were all security cleared, all the staff, that their staff that worked on these documents. Um, we had to agree the scanners. We had to agree the layout of the workspace with them. We discussed the workflow, the scanning speed at which we would still feel comfortable. And then, as I said, there was also a lot of training involved in making sure that these scanning operators uh, prepare the volumes according to our rules um, and then obviously also pack them afterwards and then during the scanning we still had to make sure that we um, delivered document handling training in case there was any staff turnover or in case they had any problems and also throughout the entire project we made sure that there was a, a tight communication link with us so that whenever they came across a problem, they would just come to us and we would solve it for them. And we had an agreement that whatever they come across that is a problem, we would do within the week. And that seemed to have worked quite well. There were 35,000 of them. So if one wasn't quite done at, at that moment, it wasn't, you know, they had a lot to get on with. It wasn't really that much of a problem. Now, this is almost finishing. Just to, again, to sum this up, a timeline. In July 2004, we started to survey this um, census. In November 2005, we started the preparation for scanning. And in June 2007, so um, 20 months later, we finished it. Again, we felt really smug because look at when we finished and look at when the scanning started. And the scanning start date was actually set a long time beforehand. So we felt really good about having just finished in time for them to start. So scanning started in July 2007 and they finished in April 2009. So it took almost two years to do that at five scanners for 12 hours in two shifts, five days a week. So I... Just, I, again, I hope you kind of get an idea of how long these things take. And then the online service was launched with the majority of the English counties on the 13th of January 2009. You may remember that. And then there was a phased release March till April 2009 with the Welsh counties added in June 2009. And since the 18th of June 2009, the launch was complete. As you know, there's still a column that's closed and has been digitally redacted, and the full release of the census will be on the 3rd of January 2012. And I think this is my last slide, again, to just kind of give you a bit of a flavor. The total numbers of volumes prepared were in the end just over 6%. 2,136 have come through collection care, and 1,108 of those had damage codes that we knew about. The total number of pages that we either cleaned, separated, flattened, or repaired was 53,128 sheets. And the number of sleeves used for this venture was 14,282. The total time of preparation taken was 20 months, five of which was the pilot. Collection care, so our own input, which we basically resourced, 
um, was 255 days preparation work and 231 days was um, done through agency staff. In total, it resulted in 18 million images. And what I think is the most astounding, the number, total number of people involved in this project was more than 350, of which 280 actually transcribed it. And the reason why I'm saying that is that Yes, we always say taking an image is quite easy, and I'm trying to tell you that maybe there are some challenges, but still the bulk of the work is in the transcription, and the transcription is what makes it possible for you later to find it, because just having an image doesn't really mind, mean it's findable for anyone else. And I believe this is the end. So um, I wanted to acknowledge my colleagues. As I said, there were 350. I can't thank them all, but I wanted to... Um, at least mention our commercial partners. There was Bright Solid, um, our lead partner with advanced data service doing the scanning and data capture doing all the transcription work for us. And this brings me to the end. So if you have got any questions, then I'm happy to take them unless they're difficult ones. <laughs> yep. What, what happens to all the volumes now? Uh, are they stored on site or are they taken, taken off site again? They are gradually taken off-site. What we have been doing, um, most sensors are still here in this building. This is because um, very often the image quality that we were historically able to provide was not very good. So we find that there's still a lot of readers that are unsatisfied and they want to see the original, in which case we have to produce it. So what we have done with the 1911 census is we basically did the same. We kept it here just in case somebody can't read what there is. We found in reality now that the image quality and therefore the work that we have done is, is, um, is so good that we haven't had any requests for them. So gradually we are moving, we are satisfied that the quality of the product that we are able to provide is good enough for us to actually um, take the originals off-site. Could you work to talk about the, um, the, the enumerators uh, yeah. books anymore? But is it correct that they, they were sort of fixed together in some way and when they scanned them, they separated the pages, but unlike your institution books, they didn't take them apart, but you ended up with a, 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 an image which then didn't have consecutive pages. That is true, and that would have to be digitally um, resorted. Re, re that is true. That was one of the major problems. And again, a lot of discussion had gone into this. What happens if you take a book apart with the RG78s because they were, well, because they were different in terms of content? We were clear that we did not want to cut them apart, and so they had to be there. And the, the and the. I suppose there was pressure on us to say, but make it easy, make it easy. And so in the end, we said, okay, we can take the carefully take the stitching out, which means that um, page one always gets to line next to page 16 and two comes next to 15 and so forth. So it's not quite trivial. They scanned it like this, was much easier. We also put them back together in order. Um, but digitally, the, the images had to be cut and resorted. That's true. Everything's been processed. We found everything in the process. Um, I can't tell you which ones the ones were. They were. Everything's available. We found everything. There's nothing missing. The only information that it's missing is the one that was eaten away by mold, which we can't help. But everything's there. They're available at the moment through Find My Past. Mm -hmm. There's another company at the moment 
um, currently advertising that we assume going to have it and ours is going to be better than theirs. Is it going to be better and if so, in what way? <laughs> to be honest, I'm not sure about this. It is true that it is possible for, others, for um, other companies to buy a copy of this. Um, the images will be the same. I know that for certain because we have to, we are, it's taken us long enough. We didn't, we, you know, we haven't done it twice. Um, if they say that they have a better product, it must be it what must be the the online interface, the way you search for it. But I'm not sure how that. I I can't answer that any better. It's certainly not redigitized. No, we have one set of images. We are very pleased with the outcome, and we are not planning to do it again anytime soon. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> Um, I don't even know that this another secrecy. I don't even know where it is. I know it's not here. So we have looked at it. Some staff have looked at it, not me. Um, and I'm not sure when that will happen. Will there be similar problems? I expect so. I expect so. But as I said, this was our first project quite a long, quite a long time ago in terms of digitization and how it has evolved. We have learned a lot. The projects that we're doing nowadays are much, much more complicated than this. And so, as I said earlier, with hindsight, this was actually an easy question, easy and one of the easier projects because everything looked the same. So if the 1921 census is as uniform, which is what I expect, then um, it might be a large project, but not any more complicated than this, unless it has complicated damage, but I don't know. You said that the original <coughs> documents were stored off-site. Yes. They were brought here. Um, in whose care were they? Were they, they were probably, I'm guessing here, but they were probably with the Office of National Statistics because they are the one that do this work. Yes. Thank you. Well, what is happening to current censuses? Is, is a paper record just being kept with a view to digitizing that in 100 years' time? Or, or is it being digitized immediately? It comes in. Oh. Well, it depends. It depends. I'm not sure this is an, an, a question that I can answer quickly. Um, it, it, there are thoughts about digitizing something as we accession it. Um, but equally, I, I think for us to make the decision to digitize something, a lot of things have to fall in place and not least resources because what, what we are doing here, we could never do on our own budget. It's, it is simply impossible. So we have to have the right commercial partners, and we can only get the right commercial partners if the commercial partners then in turn feel they can sell that product and that they can get a profit from it, because otherwise they will not invest $7 million and do something like this for us. Can I answer, help answer the last two questions oh, okay. from ONS? Sir. Okay, good. Um, the first question is the, uh, the, the 1911 census was stored off-site, but it was within the custody of the National Archives. Okay. In 96, until 1966? Uh, no, until 2001. It was transferred to mm -hmm. uh, PRO in 1966. Yeah. Okay. So it wasn't within the Registrar General. Mm. Otherwise, you wouldn't have released it in 19, uh, yeah. in 2009. Yeah. It kept for 100 years. The second one is that the, the current censuses are being digitized um, as part of the processing. Okay. We don't keep the paper forms. Mm -hmm. You know, we destroyed the paper forms in 2001, and we'll be doing the same thing again this time. Mm -hmm. We'll be keeping both an electronic digital copy and a microphone. Aha. Uh -huh. Thank you very much. It's useful. Are there any other questions? Yeah, here in the front. The transcriptions. 
Yeah. Do you? <laughs> Obviously, it's a different organisation. Yeah. What sort of controls do you keep over that? They were there was very tight quality assurance on them. Um, exactly, exactly what the what the um, target for this again. This is not my area either. The target for it, I believe, was ninety nine point five accuracy, and I think we had we ended up with ninety nine point eight. Now, if you imagine, there's eighteen million images with I don't know how many millions population. There will be spelling errors, but we felt that ninety eight ninety nine point eight percent accuracy is pretty good. But obviously, the different suppliers of the data are doing their own transcriptions. Is that right? Yeah, they might do. They they might do because this was this was done under the under our lead contractor. So if somebody else has, actually, I'm not sure commercially what happens if somebody buys the census and another copy of the census, whether they buy the transcription data. Yeah. Do you know? Um, no, that. Okay. Yeah. Providers, including Ancestry. Yeah. Uh, and they are doing their own. Okay. Which is complete. Both uh, Bright Solid and Ancestry are here. So they're doing the tutorial session. Yeah. During the lunch break, if you want to go and cost them, they're in the, the, the two training rooms down there. So I'm sure they'll be delighted to uh, tell you about it. Thank you. Well, my passport was the, was the official one to link with the, the 19 women's that, that, that's, that's our official partner in that sense. So, so that it's the same. One more in the back there. Uh, is the redacted column, will that be visible from uh, next year? Yes, it will be. And that's done digitally rather than... Yes. Yeah, any other one? Just one little point. You didn't scan all any additional papers that were had been affixed? Yes, we did scan them. If there were some, they were scanned. We scanned everything there was that was associated to it. Because sometimes there are remarks on the schedules saying uh, see letter, but then if, if there's nothing scanned, it's... We scanned everything that was there, no matter whether it's pinned, glued, or tagged, or folded. We scanned it. Yeah? Sorry, final question. Um, do you remember which was the mould destroyed body or, 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 or Well, as I said, there were about 500... Um, I remember that London was one of the worst affected areas. There were others that were, say, clusters of badly damaged. I'm not exactly sure where they were. Some of these entries, yeah, yeah. Well, then, thank you very much for listening. Oh! This podcast is copyrighted at the National Archives. All rights reserved. <laughs>